Okay, we're in this series called Forgotten Virtues. And so I want to do a little review, see what you know. Don't look at your outline. Which one virtue did we cover week one? Anybody remember? Honor. Very good. Honor. So let's bring that slide up. Now we try to distinguish between respect and honor. Honor is given because of somebody's position. You know, call a doctor a doctor. Um, somebody in the military, sir, um, we should honor our politicians because they have governors or representatives. We should honor them. Now, respect is something different. Respect is earned. And if somebody's a lie and a cheat and whatever, you don't need to respect them, but you still need to honor them if they're in positions. And actually, we should honor everybody, right? God's creation. All right, anybody remember week two? It's always dangerous when... Pastors ask people to remember past messages. Loyalty, loyalty. Now, what we said about loyalty is we all think we're loyal and we say we're loyal, but the truth is in the pudding, pudding right? In the doing. It's the proving it, actually living it, showing myself to be loyal. And who remembers last week? Integrity. Well, at least somebody's listening. Thank you. <laughs> Are remembering. Hopefully, all listening. But remember, now we we said integrity is doing what you say, doing what you believe, all right. Uh, but then I got to thinking about well, some of us have kind of crazy beliefs. So I gave a definition of Christian integrity, meaning when our behavior matches God's word, and that's why we study God's word all the time. All right. So today, a uh, consultant was working with some college graduates looking to get jobs. And uh, he was dealing with the workforce, and he said to these group of graduates, he said, uh, what do you think the word is that most employers use to describe you all, uh, a quality that you all have? It starts with, I'll give you a clue, it starts with an E. So they started thinking energetic, enthusiastic, uh, some kind of word. After they guessed for a while, he said, you know what the major word is that employers say about this present newest generation, it's an E-word, but it's E-word entitled. That's what most employers think of the present new workforce. Now, before we, yeah, yeah, all those young people are feel entitled, how did they learn that? Who created this most recent generation? Past generation, right? Includes all of us maybe two generations, depending how old you are, right? So I put the question on your outline this way. Why, did, what did we do to create this emerging entitled generation? So I got to think of some things. One, I thought about uh, divorce rate, increasing the divorce rate. What happens, especially to a dad that may only see his kids every other weekend? How is he going to treat those kids? He's going to give them everything they want, try and buy their love. This is a very common thing to do, right? And play themselves off, try and get their kids to like me better than their mother, or vice versa. And then I thought about this, this trend that's happened since I was a kid. Uh, I just call it uh, this obsession with protection. Those of you my age, remember riding in the back, back of a pickup truck? How many people have done that? All right, no seatbelts back there, right? 
We, we survived. Amazing, right? Now, I'm not suggesting it's a good thing to do, <laughs> and uh, it's against the law now, um, but protection. I had a bicycle. Did I wear a helmet when I rode my bicycle? No, I didn't have a helmet. They were, I don't even think they had them back. I guess they did. <laughs> I'm pretty old. But uh, uh, we survived. We have what we call uh, helicopter parents now. They just hover over the kids, and all they're concerned about is their protection. And I got to thinking about when I was uh, playing ball as a kid. I played Little League. I don't remember. It's Little League or, or Pony League. Anyway, um, end of the season. So we had this party, and I think it was Pony League. And uh, yeah, because there was only one team. And since we were playing multiple teams or, or all stars or multiple team, our team wasn't very good. In fact, I don't remember if we ever won a game that season. But we had this party to celebrate the end of the season. And the coach says, oh, Well, we didn't have much money to buy uh, trophies this year. So we just bought one and we're going to give it to a bizarre thing. They gave it to me. Now, I wasn't the best, I don't think I was the best player on the team. I certainly wasn't the worst. So I'm embarrassed that he gave this trophy to me. And then he said, well, we came up with a little bit more money. And so we bought another trophy. And eventually, who got trophies? Everybody got trophies. Okay, so we all got trophies for what? Play, basically, right? Like I said, I don't think we won a game. Um, so now you get trophies for what? Just showing up. Like I said, it even goes back to when I was a kid. Uh, we reward what? Just trying. And there's a, a point to that too. But that's an entitlement, right? Everybody's entitled to a trophy just because they played. Now, before we pick on other people, <laughs> uh, we all feel entitled. I got to think a couple examples of my life. If I go to a fast food restaurant, which I don't very often, if I don't get my food in five minutes, what's the matter? Right? What I start to do? What's the matter? What's going on? I feel entitled to have my food in five minutes. Even if you go to a nice restaurant, you have a built-in clock, right? I make, gave my order, eh, half hour, whatever your clock is, I should have my food. If your food doesn't come then, what do you do? I'm entitled to have my food in a half hour. I'm paying good money for this, right? One of my favorites is this. I didn't bring my phone up here. It's sitting over there. Uh, you put your phone and you see if you got the internet. And if you're someplace you don't have the internet, guess what? You feel entitled to have the internet wherever you go. Don't you? I do. Or if it's slow, if you're trying to download something and all of a sudden that thing on your computer spins, I feel entitled that my computer not do that. So what is the opposite of entitlement? I would suggest to you this forgotten gratitude, today's topic, forgotten gratitude, uh, gratitude, uh, <laughs> oh, excuse me, gratitude. Now, I want to share a story from Life of Christ, uh, kind of exemplifies this. So this is not something new in our lives or our children's lives. Anyway, the text is in Luke chapter 17, I believe. So Jesus is in Valley's ministry. He's got a reputation for healing people and doing miracles. So he was headed, he's up in Galilee, he's headed down toward Jerusalem. And in between there is what? Anybody know? 
Samaria, right? Okay, where these half-breeds are that the Jews all look down on. And often Jews wouldn't even travel there. So the text says he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered the village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, that was required by law, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, we don't know much about leprosy nowadays, but it was a terrible disease, uh, affected your nerves, um, often you wouldn't get any feeling, so then you would hurt extremities, or sometimes even animals would gnaw them off when you were sleeping, you wouldn't know it. But there was also pain involved, and uh, by Old Testament law, you had to, if anybody came near you, you, you had to declare, unclean, unclean, because you didn't want somebody to contaminate them. All right? So it was a terrible, so you couldn't, you couldn't associate with your family or friends. You were put in these leper colonies and um, couldn't touch anybody. Nobody could touch you. Uh, just a horrible, incurable disease, right? So 10 men have it in this village. And so they cry out. They had no hope otherwise, right? But maybe this guy, Jesus, maybe he can, just maybe, a little bit of hope that he can Heal us, all right? So the text goes on. He, Jesus, looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priest. He didn't say, okay, bow your heads, I'll, I'll, I'll heal you. He said, go show yourself to the priest, kind of an act of faith, right? The priests were the only ones that had the authority to say, ah, now you're cured. Weird thing is you couldn't cure leprosy, so that was kind of interesting. But they evidently had enough faith or desperation to go to the priest. We don't know how far the priest was. If the pre town had a priest, then it wasn't very far. Uh, could have been a ways away. We don't know. So, they go. According to the text, they were healed. All right? Text goes on. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! Fell to the ground, Jesus' feet, thanking him, but what he did, thank you, thank you, thank you, right? Little note here, this man was a Samaritan. He was a half-breed, less-than-human Samaritan guy. But he was grateful enough to come back and say thank you to Jesus. So what do you think Jesus said? Well, the text goes on. Jesus asked this guy, uh, didn't I heal ten of you? And they were probably all part of the, knew each other, all part of the same community. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Seems like Jesus is like dumbfounded. I've done this miracle, this miraculous thing. I've, I've given them their life back. They can, uh, you know, have contact with other human beings. Now, I don't believe these other nine guys were, you know, bad people. And if it, you, if it happened to you and I, what would you want to do first? Especially if you had a family, especially if you had a wife and ch children. You would want to want to join them and tell them this uh, wonderful thing that happened to you. But in one sense, it was a, a, a spirit of entitlement. Evidently, I deserve to be healed because Jesus healed me. So here's my kind of my question for the day. Will you, will I 
be the one, the exception, the one that goes out of our way to show gratitude. Stop what we're doing and say thank you. Go out of our way to say thank you. Uh, praise people for what they've done. Or do we have a sense of feeling we deserve it? Some of us have kids, some of us adult kids now, some of us have grandkids. Because you pay your taxes to those teachers that they go to, when they go to school, they just deserve to be good teachers? Or do you feel you need to say thank you to those teachers? Or our teachers back here, that you have your children or grandchildren. Do you say thank you to them? The mechanic that fixed your car. The person that bags your groceries. I mean, the list is endless. Because we pay them, we don't need to say thank you. There's a story Jesus told. It's a parable, a made-up story. It's in Luke chapter 15. It involves two sons. I'm a, they both exemplify an ungrateful mindset. So the younger son, the first son in the story... I believe he expressed this attitude. I want it now. I want it now. So let's start with the text. To illustrate this point further, Jesus already talked about a lost coin and a lost sheep. He told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate. What's the word? Now. Okay? Not, I'm not waiting I want it now before you die. Normally, I'd get it when you die, but I want it now. I'm tired of waiting. You haven't died soon enough. Kind of an insult, right? <laughs> so his father agreed to divide his wealth between the sons. Now, again, this is a made-up story. <laughs> it would be rare for a father to do that. He was the second son, so he'd get a third of the estate. The older son would get two-thirds of the estate. Now, the text, the story goes on and says, what, what's he do with it? Who knows? He lives it up for a while anyway. We don't know how long, probably not very long, and it's all gone. So now he's destitute. And the passage says he came to his senses when he's, you know, eating pig slop. Um, and he got to thinking, well, my dad's servants live a lot better than this. They have food to eat and shelter and, and all this. I'll go home and just beg my father to hire me as a as a as a slave, a servant, all right? So that's his mindset. So he wanted it now, right? I notice in, in our culture now, new uh, young adults, young adults we'll call them, young adults seem to tend to have this desire to have the same thing that their parents had, the same quality of life. Nice, a nice house, nice car, nice stuff, and uh, and your parents worked all their lives maybe to get to this place. And I think, okay, where did this come from? Again, where did they learn this? Well, they must have learned it from us. In fact, any of us that have debt, other than maybe a house or maybe possibly a car, if you have debt. What have you fallen into? What trap? A trap that I have to have it now, right? Otherwise, you could pay for it without going in debt. I got to searching, researching debt a little bit. Um, some of us are old enough to remember the 60s. 
the first credit card came out in the 60s. So consequently, nobody had credit cards in the 60s, right? <clears throat> Gradually, people began to get them in the 70s, but not too many people. I got married in 1976. I did not have a credit card when I got married, right? Uh, I don't know when I got my first one, but according to statistics, they exploded in the 90s, all right? So, what happens with a, with a credit card? I can buy something now that I haven't saved money for to pay for it. Now, back in the 60s, what you did, you put stuff on layaway, right? Unless some of you remember that. So, you had the store <laughs> saving your money for you until you had enough to purchase the object. Some of you don't have no clue what that is, but that's what they used to do. little history lesson. So, I hate to say this, folks, but if you're in debt for stuff that is other than that, you have this entitlement attitude. Because I'm an American, and they'll give me a credit card, I can buy this. Pay 25% interest on it, but that's big, no big deal. Sometimes the thing is obsolete before you get it paid for. Entitlement. I put on the outline, what does the word wait mean? It means you don't deserve it now, <laughs> right? So, the, the younger son exemplified, uh, I want it now. I'm entitled to have it now. I have the right to have it now. <clears throat> so, he, he comes home. Uh, the first two stories, the owner of the sheep and the coin looked and looked and looked. In the third story, the father doesn't go looking for the son. But he's watching for the son. And so the son comes back. And we're going to read, pick up the text there. But the second son, which we don't talk about a whole lot, has this ungrateful attitude of, I deserve more. I deserve more. So let's pick up the text. The father said to his servants, he saw, the son came back, quick, bring the fire. Finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. So is he going to be a servant? Do you do that to your servants? No. He is welcomed back to, in the family as a son. Text goes on. He killed the calf and killed the calf. We have been flat, fattening, fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead. is now returned to life. A, a, a form of resurrection, right? He was lost, but now is found, so the party began. Okay, so everything's good, right? No. All right. The text goes on. What about this? the older son? The older brother was angry and wouldn't even go in to the party. His father came out and begged him, please, celebrate with us. Your son, who's lost, now is found. He's restored. All the, he says this, all these years I slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. I've been a completely obedient son. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friend. How much is that like you and I? <laughs> so, well, some of you got kids, some of you got grandkids. I don't know, what age do, do you give your kids a cell phone these days? 10 years old? I, I, I don't know. And you don't buy them just a cheap cell phone. You give them a nice cell phone. 
I didn't have a cell phone when I was 10 years old. Well, they weren't around, but anyway. And then when a kid turns 16, what do they expect? Car. Parents have a car. I'm 16. I can drive now. Get me a car. And they don't want to clunk your car either, do they? And then we grow up to be adults and we think, oh, we ought to go on elaborate vacations like, you know, other people do. I'm entitled to more, bigger, better. So I'm going to do a little bit of personal evaluation here. We're going to cut, <laughs> examine ourselves in three different areas, exposing potential ungratefulness. All right, so the first one's this, material or financial ungratefulness. One way you can identify this is when you say, I really wish, you can fill the blank in, I really wish I had that new whatever. I really wish I had a nicer car. I really wish I had, you know, something in our house. Uh, granite countertops instead of just these cheapo countertops I have in my house. I really wish, not just the kind of general wish, but I really wish I'm unhappy with what I do have, material. The biggest one is clothing. How many of us have said, I have nothing to wear with a closet full of clothes? Think about people where it truly say, I don't have anything to wear. Maybe we are ungrateful, dissatisfied with the material and financial things we have. What about relationally? Relationally, are we ungrateful? I really wish my, those of us who are married, I really wish my spouse was something. <laughs> Nicer, um, made more money, um, was better looking, was in better shape, uh, you know, personality was different, whatever it might be. Parents, I really wish my child would fill in the blank. I really wish they'd honor me more. I really wish they'd be more appreciative of me. I really wish, I really wish, whatever it might be. What about circumstances? This is kind of funny one to me because we complain about circumstances a lot. We complain about weather. Why do we complain about weather? Can't do anything about it. I really wish, now there's a sense, we, I wish our politicians did a better job and those things. But when it gets to a place of complete dissatisfaction, with the whole political system or, um, you know, country that we live in or the state we live in or the community we live in or whatever it might be. I really wish I had a different job or a better job. So what's the easiest way to gauge ungratefulness? What's the easiest way to gauge? Because we all don't think we're that ungrateful, right? How much do you complain? How much do you complain? about your spouse, about your kids, about the government, about the weather, uh, about your job, about your employee, about the church, about your pastor. Uh, you appreciated me today at least, right? Thank you. Um, how much do you and I complain? It's a flip side. Am I grateful for my job or to complain about my job? Am I grateful I get to live in the United States or I complain about it? I love the kind of a 
can praise. But when you ask somebody how they're doing, they say, better than I deserve. That's a cool attitude, isn't it? So how do we cultivate an attitude of gratitude? Simple thing to say, not so simple to do. Decide to turn blessings, what you have, into praise. There's an old praise song, about 20 years old, that has this line in it, Matt Redmond's song. Every blessing you pour out, God, you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. Right? So, God, I thank you for the life, the breath I had this morning when I woke up. I'm still here. I thank you for my, my case, my wife, my kids. Nobody's perfect. Uh, I thank you. I praise you for my health. I praise you for the finances I have. I praise you for the wisdom you give me. I praise you. It, it just can go on and on and on. Uh, why is this so important? Because every blessing I don't turn back to praise, you know what happens to it? It turns into pride. I deserve this. I have it coming. I work for it. Maybe we finish here pretty quickly. I mean, it reminded me of some words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4. He said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Wow, how many of us can say that? I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, or li <clears throat> living in plenty or in want. Look at that word, learn. Are you and I naturally content? Are you and I naturally uh, generous? I thought about little kids. Two little kids will fight over the same toy, won't they? And you, as parents, you have to teach them what? Share, right? So... You have to learn it, and you can learn it to be content. How content are you and I? How do you have contentment? I thought of a couple ways. One is to have God's eyes. Now, I read about the persecuted church. I, I, I don't understand it. I don't know why God allows that. But uh, God's eyes. And also God's priority. When I complain I don't have anything to wear, I think God's priority is that I help clothe people in the world that don't have enough clothes to wear. When I complain about my food, which I certainly should never do, how many people in the world, a couple billion people probably don't have food to eat? Priorities. And then a verse is pretty familiar, so I put it on your outline twice. I can do everything, which means I can learn to be content, right? Christ who gives me strength. The Amplified says it this way, I can do all things which he has called me to do because I can't do everything just because God says I can. So, I can do whatever he calls me to do. Through him who strengthens and empowers me. Now, again, sometimes I think we forget that we are empowered by God Almighty and we live kind of defeated lies. We shouldn't. Empowered to do what? Well, fulfill his purpose. I'm ready for anything, equal to anything. Are you and I? 
through him who fuses me with inner strength and confident peace. You and I have the strength we need to do what God calls us to do, and we should be at peace. Peace and complaining, two different things, aren't they? So, uh, kind of a final thought. Choosing gratitude means letting go of something else, right? I thought about all of us parents complaining about our kids sometimes. Remember that story I told you a while back about when Josh got lost? We lived in Portugal. He didn't get, <laughs> he would say he didn't get lost, right? He just walked on home. But anyway, from his parents' perspective, he was lost. Now, you think the first thing we did when we found him was complain about him? No. Perspective, right? Perspective. Uh, neat verse in Proverbs says it this way. All the days of the afflicted are bad, but one with a, I love this phrase, cheerful heart has a continual feast. You and I can, with a cheerful heart, we have a continual feast. Better is little with fear of the Lord and great wealth and turmoil with it. So thank God for the material things you have. Thank God for the relationships you have. Again, no, nobody's perfect. Thank God for your circumstances, even when they're tough. Most of all, thank God for Jesus Christ. As this verse said, He loved us enough to die for us. A little catchy phrase I came across. Gratitude makes poor people rich. Ungratefulness makes rich people poor. We're making ourselves poor. Next step, don't just feel gratitude. Hopefully you feel it, but express it. Write a note, send a text. Go see someone. Say thank you. Thank you. Will you be the one? That's great. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we are so blessed that we do have an entitlement attitude, spirit. I must confess it. We're spoiled. God, forgive us. Work in our hearts and lives. Help us be grateful. And God, let us live with an empowerment, not an attitude of, I can't. And an attitude of peace instead of complaining. Again, this is all natural, but we need to be supernatural through your Spirit. Help us. Grow us. And we do pray for anyone that has never, never accepted that gift. That's a wonderful gift, this amazing gift of salvation and forgiveness and eternal life with Jesus. It's a free, absolutely 100% free gift God offers to you. Nothing you and I can do, ever can do, ever did do to earn it, deserve it. All you can do is say, thank you, be grateful to Jesus for entering your life, cleansing of your sin, empowering you by the Holy Spirit. It's an act of faith. Believe. Thank you, God. As needy people, 
you are a gracious God. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.